We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Hello, dear friends. My name is Mike Cosentino, and it is an absolute honor to be with you for another episode of the Run ATL Podcast presented by Big Peach Running Company. And once again, our pedestrian active producer joins us on this side of the glass. He is my good friend and co-host, Dolomite Dave. D2, greetings and welcome back. Yeah, great to be here. And I know we've been kind of busy. I think this is the first time we've uh, gotten together in a couple weeks. It has, um, yes. But uh, good to be back and uh, to go over and uh, work on the podcast. And we've got a great guest. I mean, Danny We have Grable. a real heaping of the good stuff today. Yeah, Danny Grable. Um, you know, I've kind of uh, been familiar with Danny through just through stories I've heard and interactions kind of here and there where I pass across in uh, various you know races in triathlon and we kind of know some of the same people and when I uh, found out about her book um, it was one of those things that you, know, you don't really know someone until you really kind of find out their backstory and I always thought Danny was this awesome athlete and she's always been you know very you know um, you know athletic until you go back and you read a story and you dig a little deeper and you find out that wasn't always the case. And I think for many of us, we can relate to the, that type of story. That is true. And, and regular listeners already know that inspiration is one of the four cornerstones of this broadcast. And of course, if this is your first time tuning in, you are very soon going to find out why we claim such. Our featured conversation is D2 alluded to author Daniel Grable. Her book, Fear No Distance, A Journey to Life Without Limits, it is a real treasure. And I venture to say there is no one who participates in or perhaps right now just aspires to a pedestrian active lifestyle or maybe even a lifetime of healthy living who won't find this discussion that D2 and I have with Danny to be inspirational. It's likely also D2 to be instructional. And I personally believe, I think many, many listeners, because I know for me, it was also very encouraging as Danielle dives into her own substantial and admittedly challenging experience with weight loss and weight maintenance. And then also part of her story is a battle through some truly massive requirements that were necessary to recover from a scenario that we so sadly hear all too frequently in being on the wrong side of an accident involving a driver charged with driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And all that sets up an athlete who might be considered of mythical accomplishment if it was anybody but you and I. This trusted tandem that we are on the Run ATL podcast, if anybody else was bringing this to you, you might not believe what Danny has done on that more satisfying side of weight loss and coming back and recovering from that horrific accident. And some of the things that she goes on to do, obviously, we'll dive into that during our conversation. She does a ride that's on a bike across America. She eventually participates in a triathlon D2. Both you and I have done an Ironman, but she did a triathlon that consisted of more than 420 
total miles. And then she became the first woman to compete in the Epic Five, which is where she completed five iron distance triathlons in five consecutive days on, get this, five different Hawaiian Islands. And for those of you who want numbers besides five, that's 12 miles of swimming, 560 miles of cycling, and 131 miles of running in, yes, just five days. And and my guess is those miles were in some of the most extreme conditions on the planet. So not surprising, this conversation is a little longer than some others that we've had, and we're going to bring this to you totally unedited. As we get started, D2, I told you this, I have a couple of suggestions. They were good for us. I'm going to make them available now to our listeners. First, go back and watch Big Peach Running Company's What's Your Excuse video. Whether you've only seen it once or whether you've viewed it and shared it hundreds of times, give it another watch. We are telling you it will be worth doing so. And for those of you who are not familiar with this literally award-winning recording associated with what it is that Big Peach Running Company suggests be your mindset and believes so deeply in, I'll drop it in my show notes, but it is the perfect setup for Danielle's story and her book. She had all kinds of excuses that could have sidelined her, could have detoured her, could have derailed her, but like we are all ultimately compelled to do, she just got to conquer. And one excuse at a time, one after another. And then my other suggestion for y'all, get to doing something active. Listening to podcasts while exercising is presently the second most common way to enjoy this type of media. But if every single podcast that everyone listened to was what you've got coming up, I can tell you that exercising would be way at the top of that list. So just after this very quick break with some helpful and timely information from our partners is our conversation with Danny Grable. If you haven't already, start your workout now. Fall may seem like it's a couple months away, but training for fall races starts now. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across that finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Buy 10 or more individual packages and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Club and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings of up to 25% off. Don't be foolish. Come into Big Peach Running Company and stock up so you're long run ready. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. It is time for our featured conversation. And D2, we teed this one up really well. I think we gave the introduction of this conversation, the attention and the enthusiasm it deserves because I could be wrong because Danny Grable is here with us and she is an enthusiastic individual and I will tell you, we are big fans of yours. When we were thinking about what we talked about that you have not yet heard in the intro, we're relaunching our What's Your Excuse campaign. You came to mind immediately. You're here in the Atlanta area and your story known far far beyond what we would call our hometown and perhaps well outside of the United States. So to have a true hometown hero, to have someone who's globally recognized for saying, yep, excuses are just 
out there and yet they're out there so that we can conquer them and move on, do what's right for us and inspire others along the way. You have done that, Danny. Thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I appreciate it. Well, it is. It is our pleasure. And, and we're going to get get right to it. You've got an amazing story and, and we don't need you to kind of walk us through who you are, or your background, because we touched on that a little bit in the intro. But what I do think is important to do to, to kind of set the stage for some questions that I know our listeners will benefit hearing you answer and be able to kind of impart some of the things that you've learned for them and for all of us so that we can kind of take what you've done, make it our own in our own individual way and just be better for it. So if we start at the beginning of your transformation and from your book and and what we've talked about both in the intro and we'll continue to use as a reference, your book, Fear No Distance, A Journey to a Life Without Limits. Rightfully so, you went and got yourself a transformation, certainly in body. Right. To the book, my belief was also in mind, perhaps in spirit. Absolutely. So we think about that lifestyle transformation. I think we have listeners out there right now who know, hey, goodness gracious, that, that's who I should be. I need that transformation. What would you say to encourage them that, yes, they do? And maybe just as importantly, when you were thinking about needing to transform who you were, what were some of those first couple of steps that ultimately you decided to take? Sure. So um, I used to weigh about 225 pounds and lost about 75, 80 pounds. I think the first thing that when people say, well, where do I start? Um, you know, I kind of think back about my journey. Everything that I did was wrong. I, I didn't really have anything that was healthy. So I didn't eat correctly. I didn't exercise. I didn't practice any good self-care. It can be completely overwhelming when you think about having to change everything that you do. So I really recommend that people just try to layer changes. So if you're going to give up something, if you're going to give up cream and sugar in your coffee, try that for a couple weeks, then add exercise a couple weeks later, maybe give up McDonald's, you know, just layer the changes. Don't try to just all of a sudden go from eating McDonald's three times a day to being a vegan the next day, because it's just not going to work. You're going to be um, you're just going to go from one extreme to the other. And for most people, that just seems too harsh. It seems too hard to kind of stick to those parameters. So easing into it really gently, I think, is the best the best advice that I can offer. Well, I want to ask you to maybe even get really, really tactical because one of the things that you said in your book, and, and I love the fact that you immediately came right out and said, hey, this is what I weighed, and this was in a weight that I was not comfortable. Sure. D2 and I aren't the smartest guys in the world, but we do know talking to a woman right away about her weight might not yeah. be a great intro question. <laughs> so you kind of allowed me to go there without having to do that. In your book, you say, and I think it's, I think it's so important for us to have tactics that we can follow along. What you ended up saying was, that you broke your eating habits down into weekly changes. Absolutely. So you're thinking about eating habits, and in that same sentence, you say weekly changes. Right. Give us more on that. So I literally changed one thing a week until I felt like I was eating healthy. And was that so, compounded? So that one thing right, you changed in week one it. was still in week two. Exactly. But there became this, okay, awesome. Yeah. So week one, give up sodas. Week two, give up sweet tea. So now I'm down sweet tea and sodas. And then it just doesn't seem like you're missing out because it shouldn't, you know, the other thing that people really focus on is what they're giving up and they don't pay enough attention to what they're gaining. And I really encourage people when you start to, to make those changes and layer those changes and you're eating differently, 
you should pay a lot of attention to how your body is responding and how you feel. So when you feel amazing and you're eating fruits and you're eating vegetables and your skin is clear and your hair looks pretty and your nails are growing, (laughs) you should acknowledge that that is because you gave up the bad food. Every time you wake up and you think, gosh, I have so much energy today. This is so strange. I feel so good. You should acknowledge that that is a, a result of the positive change that you made and not focus on the fact that I can't eat pizza. I can't do this. I can't do that because that's just focusing on the negative aspect of it instead of, you know, kind of acknowledging what is what's happening to your body in a really positive way. So, I mean, I think that's that's terrific. Not only is it encouraging, because I know there are so many people that we have the good fortune of serving in our stores every single day, where it, whether it's weight loss or just weight management, it is part of why they need a new pair of shoes or sure. why they've visited us perhaps just to sign up for a neighborhood 5K that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So let's unpack that approach that you took a little bit further. Sure. You mentioned one change per week and then compounding those changes. Right. You indicate, rightfully so in my opinion, celebrating those favorable, those positive things that you notice about yourself. Mm-hmm. But let's be realist, realistic. How long did it take before you started noticing some of those changes? And can it ever happen fast enough? <laughs> and if the answer is perhaps predictably no, I wanted it to happen immediately yeah. in the first or second day, or certainly in the first or second week, and that might not be what actually happens, what do you say to someone that just simply needs to be patient? Yeah, and it can be very discouraging because unfortunately, Um, you put weight on a lot faster than you take it off. So I think bad habits catch up to you and your body responds very quickly when you treat it poorly, but maybe not quite as quick when you start to make the changes. So that was something that was certainly pretty discouraging. In fact, I spent a solid uh, six weeks in my house doing exercise videos before I even felt comfortable enough to go to a gym. Um, So you do have to practice patience and you do have to remember that, um, you know, good things don't just come overnight. And if it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. I mean, if it was easy, then no one would be overweight. No one would be unhealthy because, um, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take any work. So, well, and I love your humility because I know from having read the book, I mean, this was an exercise video that your cousin yes. had shot, correct? Yeah. When you say I was in my house for six weeks doing exercise videos, you were not the star of this video. No, you no, were not no. the one who was being shot because you had all these routines down to perfection, you had not even gone and purchased this. You had had a family member send them to you. You quarantine yourself for, you say, six weeks before you have that self-confidence to go out and show off that, yes, I exercise on occasion. That's it. I mean, and even then it was a, it was like a Pilates yoga fusion video. So it really was not intended to even be a high impact, difficult thing to begin with. And I couldn't even make it through the whole video. It, it was the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to join the gym and I'm going to sign up for a gym membership was when I could make it through 45 minutes without feeling like I was going to die. I mean, that's the kind of shape that I was in. I literally could not even walk up a flight of stairs without being out of breath. So um, let's go even more into the fact that you set a target. How important was that? Because maybe now it's easy to almost poke fun of the fact that I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without being out of breath. Right. I couldn't do 45 minutes of any exercise without feeling totally spent. Right. But you set that target that I'm not going to go and join a gym or I'm not going to go outside and do whatever it is that's my fitness routine mm-hmm. until I get to this particular point that I've set for myself. Right. How important was that? Having a goal is really important because that's what that's what keeps you focused. If you don't have a goal, you're not working towards something. Um, 
For women, I think we tend to gravitate more towards aesthetics. So I had a pair of jeans that I had bought and I distinctly remember they were a size 12 and I was like around a 16 or 18 and I hung the jeans up and it was really important to me to get to that size. Uh, for some people, it could be something like, you know, you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol, you're looking to get your numbers within a normal range. Um, you might, you know, have high blood sugar and you're, you're wanting to kind of scale back on that but you've got to have something specific that you're working towards. And I'm a really true believer. I don't think it always has to be um, related to athletics. I certainly think that it could be related to wanting to look a certain way, be a certain size. Um, but of course, not having a goal means that that you get up and you think, well, why am I even doing this? I mean, what's the point? Well, on D2, we talked about in our intro how much fun this would be for us because this is just real. Right, and we're talking about getting from a size 18 to a size 12. Right. We're talking about not being able to walk up a flight of stairs and yet recognizing that the real tragedy in that is that you don't have the confidence to go out and join a gym right away because you've just got to get to be in better shape than what you currently are before you're even willing to take what is oftentimes the first step for someone else, mm -hmm. whether it's the first day of a new year, whether it's the first day of a new relationship, you were not even willing to give yourself that permission when you started. Exactly. And then you said the term more than once, patience. You had to be patient with yourself, not just changes you were hoping to see come along. I mean, that's a real dose of reality that I know so many of our listeners can relate to, not just because your story that we're going to continue to have unfold, but because of where you started and quite frankly, now where you are and some of the things that you continue to do. So in your book, it was not classified as this macroeconomics. That's what I'm going to classify it as because what you said is Nothing easy is worth having because if it was easy, everyone would have it and thus it would have no worth. Kind of an economics quote if you really drill down deeply enough where it's true. Right. If somebody has something and everybody else has it, it's a commodity. Exactly. Right. It's so a penny. I, is that your background or, or how did you no, come up no, with no. that particular science background? Science, <laughs> yeah, background. science background. But it's true. I mean, if, if it was, it, it would be like a penny. I mean, it would be you know you find a, you see a penny on the ground and you just walk past it because it's like yeah, that's really nothing. I mean, it doesn't doesn't mean anything to you. But it's got to be something worth you know worth working for. And and I've always even just even when I was. Um, out of shape and overweight, I still have always been a very driven person in terms of my personality. Okay. I've always been competitive. I've always been driven. I've always wanted to do well in, in other aspects of my life. So I have that, you know, I have always had a, that bit, that drive to kind of succeed in, in other areas. So I just kind of applied that competitiveness. I used to be very competitive in school and always want to make the best grades and always have the best, uh, you know, the highest score on the spelling bee champ. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, that's kind of what I took and just applied that to kind of other, other areas. And so thinking about being driven, but in this particular area, not having the results, recognizing that it's not going to come easy for someone right now that just thinks it is too darn hard. You had to feel that numerous times just in the weight loss. Absolutely. And obviously the weight management part of your journey. Absolutely. For that person right now that has that unfortunate phrase rattling around in their mind, it's too darn hard. How do they get past that? Well, there's a phrase, there's a phrase that they use in Weight Watchers and that's um, what I use to, to lose a lot of the weight where they, they talk about if you were going down the highway and you got off at the wrong interstate, would you stop there and build a house? 
or would you get back on the interstate and keep going to where your destination was? And it's the same way because we all we all have you know missteps in our journey. We all have days that we you know flake out and skip our training, or we cut our workout short, or we go out and eat food that we regret. But the point is, you have to keep that vision. I mean, you have to see that finish line. You have to see that goal. You have to keep that. That's what, you know, and if you need to set intermittent goals because your goal might be so large that it just doesn't seem attainable for you, then that's fine. But you can't lose sight of that. You can't lose sight of what you're working towards. Well, and I know you didn't because obviously I've had the good fortune of reading the book. And for those who have not yet, but certainly would encourage them to do so, kind of getting off that interstate occasionally you make a bad choice sure occasionally you do not hit a target right but you've got to figure out how do i find my way back to that interstate and return myself going towards that destination absolutely and you, and you would say give yourself the permission to make a mistake maybe make lots of them yeah. give yourself the allowance you need not to hit every target because you won't right but do not lose sight of that destination get back on the interstate and keep going Absolutely. I mean, if you need to regroup and that's, that's where having a support network is really important. Having people who are helping you work towards your goal. Um, I'm a huge believer in telling people your goal and in announcing it and in visualization and seeing that goal. Um, I used to title my playlist on my iPad, uh, best Ironman of your life. Um, this best three hour run you've ever done, amazing run. I mean, just all, you know, whatever you need to do to make it a reality and just tell people, you know, when I um, was training for Epic Five, I said, I'm going to be the first woman to finish Epic Five. I didn't say, I'm gonna go to Hawaii and try to do Epic Five. There's a big difference. So the more confident that you are, um, the, the less the less frustrated you're gonna be by those step setbacks. The more that you say, I am going to quit smoking, not I'm trying to quit smoking. And I love the fact that you said, and you tell others, because I think we oftentimes in our stores for somebody who wants to do their first 5K or maybe finish their first half marathon or whatever the distance might be, go out and tell those who you really care that this is your intent because there's just an accountability Absolutely. that comes with just telling them whether they actually hold you to it or not. There is that accountability that you've all of a sudden asked somebody to employ or that you've given yourself permission to have. I'm gonna actually take this idea of having conversations with those around you in a different direction. Okay. There's nowhere in your book that you specifically talk about peer pressure, but you mentioned very specifically at the onset of when you were making, now making regularly a commitment to healthy choices that your friends were not, and I quote, completely understanding. That's right. Nick Saban said at one point that it's, it's pretty easy once you have a very motivated group because motivated people don't like to hang out with unmotivated people. That's right. And wonderfully enough, unmotivated people don't really want to hang out with motivated people. But I think the challenge can be and where the peer pressure could set in is that you have somebody that's going to wake up tomorrow. They've listened to this podcast and they are ready to make a change. But their friends and their family, those don't change. Right. And now maybe they're getting the same feedback you did that those around them, those they even care about, do not completely understand. Right. How do they get to the other side of that, especially in those relationships that are important? And that's difficult. My very best friend in the entire world has never um, run one mile. Uh, she does not- Her loss, send her we're, loss. We're our lifestyles are completely different, but there is a difference in not supporting and not understanding. She does not understand why I do the things I do. When I told her about Epic Five, 
you know, she said, God, that just seems like a lot of money to go to go to five islands of Hawaii. I mean, she didn't understand at all. That's different than not supporting. My parents don't understand. My mom has no clue why I do the things I do, but it doesn't matter because she wants me to be happy. And if somebody is willing to support you in a quest that they know is going to make you happy and they're not going to be discouraging and they're going to say, listen, I don't necessarily understand why you're doing this, but whatever I can do to help you along this journey or whatever I can contribute to make this um, you know, more feasible for you, those are the kind of people that you have to keep in your life. Um, now, that's different than people that are discouraging. That's different than people that are, um, you know, trying to persuade you to, to make bad choices or persuade you to do something that's different. That's not the same. Um, but ultimately, if you're around people and if your family, you know, is hopefully as good as mine, they'll say, listen, I might not understand it. And I think you're a little kooky, but um, hey, whatever floats your boat, it makes you happy. So, And they support it. I mean, you use two very different terms, but seemingly important. Right. Those who understand and those who support. And right. D2, I don't know if this is true for you, but you've got those people who do both. And then as Danny indicated, you have those people who just support even though they don't understand. But it sounds like you feel similar to me and perhaps D2, you can speak on this as well. For that relationship that you have or that contact that is somehow in your life, who doesn't understand and doesn't support, how do you get out from underneath that? Is it time to terminate that relationship in what would be a comfortable way to whatever degree that's possible? Sure. Or can you continue to make those relationships work after you've elected to say, I'm changing? Yeah. And I think it's just a question of, does this person bring value to my life? And I ask myself that with every single person that I, that I um, you know, consider to be a friend because um, I can be a really challenging person to, to be a friend with because I am so brutally honest and I will call my friends out and I do hold my friends accountable and I can, I'm what I would consider to be an, a brutally honest person. So I'm not the kind of person that everybody's going to want to hang out with because, um, I'm totally going to call you out on your behavior or whatever you're doing. That's ridiculous. Um, at the same time, I'm super selective about who I spend time with because I ask myself, what kind of value does this person bring? If I have somebody in my life and all they do is call me to vent and complain and just be negative and they don't do anything for me, then I'm sorry. There's there's just no point. And, and you have to just say, well, what am I getting out of this relationship? And it um, might cost people something. Why shouldn't it? You just said, yeah. if it's easy, it has no value. Right. Right. If it's so easy, everybody has it. And it's a commodity. D2, you said on our original episode that for you, thinking back into that first phase of your career... You were not exercising. You were not doing anything that was particularly good for you. And you were, and this was your term, unhappy. Thinking right. back to that, how many of the people that were in your life, whether it was a personal relationship, an occupational relationship, or you know, maybe a family member that you spent a lot of time with, are you still involved with in any real intimate basis at this point? Uh, from, from that part of my life, um, yeah, at least in, you know, for those that were kind of involved with work, Almost none, only because, you know, the environment I worked in was very kind of a very professional and on the weekends they would go out and play golf or they'd go and, and sit around and watch college football or, you know, all day on, on the weekend. And for me, I was like, well, I'm going to go out for a bike ride. I'm going to go and do this. And I just wasn't getting that connection. And eventually it was like this. I wasn't happy because I just didn't feel like I fit or belong in that environment. And 
So I totally completely understand what Danny's saying because there are times like that. And even even now, and just, you know, regardless of whether we're talking about fitness, I mean, you can talk about that in even the political environment and Facebook and you start going, okay, I'm unfriending, I'm unfollowing, I don't need this negativity in my life, I just need to get this away because it's affecting me on a day-to-day basis. If, I, if I'm around someone that's negative, it affects me the rest of my day. And then that transfers over to someone else. So I'd rather not have them or at least not talk to them on a, on a daily basis or limit my time with them so that I can then be a better person and, and just be happier overall. Well, I think that's a good call out. And, and both of you, although seeing it differently and touching on different things, and, and this is where I think we owe those who are listening just a full understanding. And we're not hating on golf or college football or those who do things that might not be the same way we spend our weekend hours. But a lot of those relationships will just organically disappear or right. change. And you shouldn't fear that because both of these individuals, and I will speak from my own personal experience, are happier and happier with the relationships that are important in our life now. And all of us really came to our respective fitness routines as full-grown, relatively mature adults. Right. We did not fall out of baby joggers and onto the track and started doing Olympic trials type work. We came to this as adults. And now here we are saying the relationships in my life are far better and make me a far happier person than what they ever did before I was doing the kind of things that we're suggesting people think about right now. Right. And I'm not saying that, you know, all of your friends have to have to do the same stuff that, that you do, because I certainly um, have friends who, who don't do triathlons that are never going to do a triathlon. But um, they're still good, positive, encouraging people. And, and that's and that's really where the difference is. I mean, in having people who who are going to be, like you said, negative and people that complain and people that are whiny versus somebody who just you, you want to call them like you're upset that you missed their call because <laughs> you want to talk to that person. Yep. And that's the kind of person that you should be friends with. Well, and I know that as we talk about this, there are a lot of listeners that there's somebody in their mind. that just like that relationship that would withstand no matter what change I make or how happy I am tomorrow that maybe I'm not today or if I'm half or twice as happy. And then there are also probably people right now who are thinking of that person that is like, I don't know that that relationship would survive if I'm as successful as what Danny has been in that true transformation. Right. All right. In every good story, there's there's obviously there's a hero or a heroine, but there's also a tragedy. Sure. And we can talk about weight loss and weight management, make that the focus of this conversation truly all night long. We're not going to do that. You're an expert on that. There's all kinds of material people could find from you and perhaps elsewhere to give them incentive to just do it. I don't want to put it in my words in terms of how this tragedy unfolds or how it impacts you. So maybe in your own way, let's talk about what I'm sure you know as what I'm describing as a tragedy and some of the things that as you were coming back from that, you just had to say now are even more difficult than what that weight loss journey was that I took. Mm-hmm. Yep. So give us that story. So I'm assuming you're talking about my bike accident. You yep. are correct. Danny is clairvoyant. Yeah, she is not only an expert, it. she is clairvoyant as well. Yes, that is indeed. That's it. So in November of 2006, it was my the kind of the end. I was wrapping up my first season of triathlon. I was um, definitely a newbie. I had done you know a few handful of sprints, a couple Olympics. I'd signed up for my first marathon. I was really excited about that. And I was down in Florida for Ironman Florida and unfortunately got hit by an um, impaired driver. Broke my leg, shattered my tibia, my fibia, fibula. 
ended up in the hospital for about five days, um, had to have surgery and went from being in literally the best shape of my life to being, um, you know, unable to even get to the bathroom. I was, um, covered in, in horrible road rash. I landed in a gravel parking lot. So I had awful, awful road, road rash all down my body. I was in a wheelchair and it was certainly, you know, I, I kind of vacillated um, for a long time between feeling gratitude for being alive because I had a good uh, friend, uh, Victor Serrano, whose brother Tony had tragically passed away. And now there's, you know, the Serrano ride that happened before I was even into, before I even owned a bike. So I felt... And he passed away, just to be clear, from being from a hit bike, by yeah, an exactly. automobile a while A very, very similar bike. accident to mine, really, being hit from behind. So I would vacillate between feeling super grateful for being alive to the other extreme where I would um, get on like social media and start crying because somebody went on a bike ride and I didn't. And so I had, you know not only the physical component to, to kind of heal from, but also emotionally, I just was a wreck. I mean, I, I also learned that I shouldn't wrap myself up. I identified myself as a triathlete, even though I had only been racing is for one year. You, I had that complete newbie syndrome that you get into where you tell everybody, you know, I'm a runner and you put all the stickers on your car and you're, you know, you don't try really hard to like scrub your numbers off your leg because you want everybody to know that you just did something. So that was a problem though, because once all that was taken away, I didn't really kind of know who I was. I had transformed myself into this new person and then suddenly I couldn't be that anymore. So then what do you do? Um, so I took up cross stitching. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't seem to like it that much. I hated cross stitching. Cross stitching was awful. And we're not hating on cross stitching either. People are gonna come away like they don't like golf, they don't like college football, they don't like cross stitching. That's necessarily was true. Awful. It was awful. But you know, I I loved the community. I loved the people that I had met. I loved my friends, and I wanted to be back there with them. I mean, the drive to interact and the drive to be around these people socially. Um, outweighed any fear that I had about getting back on the bike. So I was so motivated because I missed my friends. I mean, I missed those bike rides. I missed getting out and doing that. Um, but it was certainly physically, it was really, really hard. I mean, running was by far the worst because, you know, I broke my leg. Mm. Um, I was never a great runner to begin with. And this just made it 10 times worse. And running hurt. And it took, I walked for a limp. For about two years, um, I had a lot of issues with my hip and kind of leg length discrepancy, but I had pain every day for almost four straight years. And I didn't even realize it until um, I just woke up one day and I went and walked my dogs and I realized that my leg didn't hurt. And it was just such a weird feeling. And I realized, oh my gosh. And I remember texting my boyfriend, Jason, and saying, my leg doesn't hurt. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, it hurts every day. And today it didn't hurt. But you don't even, you know, you just kind of get into this state of chronic pain. Um, so, yeah, it was it was an a, emotional journey, a physical journey, a spiritual journey. But it was clearly one that, you know, the minute that it happened and the minute I got past the surgery, the first question I asked the doctor was, am I going to be able to run this marathon in, in March? And he's like, honestly, I don't think you're ever going to be able to run again. He's like, you know, I did the best that I could to put your leg back together, but it was completely shattered. So 
He's like, I don't, I don't think that he's like, I did a pretty good job. But I'm not totally sure that I did a good enough job for you to be able to run. Well, and, and you mentioned the physical considerations and then you obviously, you rightfully said mental and spiritual and, and things that you just had to ultimately manage. One of the things in your book, and I pulled this page, page 57, the first group ride I went on after the accident caused me to have a panic attack. I pulled over on the side of the road and wept. That's not because your doctor didn't do enough on the surgery. Right. It's not that the road rash didn't heal. This reminded me of what we refer to as PTSD, even though you called it a panic attack. Right. And even though I really, really, really hope there are not people who listen to this that have to come back from what you did physically, have to experience what you did when that impaired driver hit you from behind. I do believe that sometimes there are demons that come from our past and come from things that are so traumatic right. that take us off the interstate. How do you come back from that? How do you go from having a panic attack to some of the accomplishments that we're going to talk about next? That just takes um, a lot of encouragement. It took a lot of encouragement from people around me and then just, I, I guess, just kind of building up some level of courage myself, which... Um, you know, I think that I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I've got a pretty healthy amount of self-confidence and courage, but I just had to decide, you know, how much do you love doing this? Like, what do, what do you want to do? Do you want to be that person that just got into the accident and said, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm afraid that I'm going to get hurt? Well, I mean, a meteor could fall out of the sky and hit me. Does that mean I'm not going to walk outside? And I just didn't want to live in fear. So I, I didn't want to be paralyzed by the fear, and I was more interested in getting back on my bike and getting back into the sport. So I just had to constantly remind myself, and it did take it did take a long time before I was more comfortable. It, and now, you know, I ride all over the place. I ride by myself. I ride, of course, I'm very safety conscious. I'm covered up in lights and blinking lights, and I, I try not to, you know, ride. And I run with my my light vest on and reflective gear. But at the same time, it's like, you know, this makes me happy and I want to get back to what makes me happy. And even though I might be scared, um, I'm more scared of how unhappy I'm going to be if I don't do it. So this was not a question that I had prepared. And we talked about this before D2 turned the mic on. But I think it ties into that self-actualization or fulfillment, kind of being who you are and, and, and being happy. If you don't mind to kind of build on that, refresh me and tell everyone who's listening kind of where you spend a lot of your occupational time and a conclusion that you've drawn for yourself as a result of talking to people you're working with on such a regular basis. Sure. So I work uh, with older adults in geriatrics. And when I first started getting into kind of the ultra sport, uh, I worked in a retirement community. And one of the, the things that I always found really interesting was every morning when I would come to work, people were sitting in the library area drinking coffee. And the conversations would almost always turn to regret. And people were, were mostly regretting things that they hadn't done. Um, a lot of it had to do with travel, and but a lot of it also had to do with not spending enough time with their kids, like working too much. I didn't do this with my, I wish I had done this when my kids were that age and I can't redo that. And I remember really distinctly um, thinking, I don't ever want to be like that. And that's, this is also the time where that uh, YOLO, you know, you only live once became really popular and everybody's like YOLO, YOLO. And I'm like, 
yeah, I believe that, but I'm really living with these people who are, who are going through this, you know, this period of regret. And when you work with people who, um, almost everyone I meet in my work is got about two to four years to live period. Sometimes it's six months or less. You, you get really intimate with people really quick and you learn what it is that they wish they had done. And people will, that's a time where people will start doing a lot of inner self-reflection and working on kind of um, closing some wounds and repairing relationships. And I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot about not wanting to have regrets, but also in how I wanted to, to treat people in terms of my relationship and not wanting to, you know, burn bridges and just treat people certain ways because you never know. I mean, what if that's the last conversation you have with that person? So it was, um, you know, really, I learned a lot from older people. I love working with older adults because they just, they're, they, they have so much, um, life experience and they're just incredible. Anybody who's lived to be 85, 90, 95 years old, just, I have a lot of respect for that. But, you know, what I've really learned for them, from them is that I don't want to be sitting there one day saying, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I mean, if I have regrets, it's going to be that I missed um, you know, the, the Grey's Anatomy season finale. That's what I'm going to be regretting. I'm going to be regretting that I didn't sit there and watch more television. <laughs> well, and, and I, I love your heart for those who are more elderly and have, to use your phrase, life experience, that the only way we can learn from that is to ask questions and, and just be around it. And those who have listened to our podcast on a regular basis know I love to do this, but as I heard you recount that, what I also heard you say time and time again is you didn't want to have regrets and the people that you've spoken to in that environment don't want to talk about these regrets, but the ones they have are things that they didn't do. Right. It doesn't sound like very often you heard people talk about regrets of things they had done. No, very rarely. Very rarely. <laughs> so I think that's such an important message for all of us is there yeah. are things that we want to do or we think about doing them. Goodness gracious. Let's not be at that part in our own respective journey. Sure. And think, I should have. I wish I would have. That's that's really cool. And again, that's just bonus material for the Run ATL podcast because that was not part of our preparations coming in to this conversation. So as we think about terms you've already used, but that most people have maybe no interest in, but even more so are likely not to have a tremendous amount of understanding. Let's talk about Right Across America. Okay. Let's talk about Double Anvil. Let's talk about Epic Five. What are these types of events that now you've pulled off and even alluded to being the first woman woman to ever have completed? Give us a sure. little bit of an overview on those types of activities. So uh, Race Across America is a, is a bike race that starts in Oceanside, California, ends in Annapolis, Maryland. It's about 3,000 miles, give or take. The routes change every year. It's a continuous race. Um, in 2013, I raced it as a two-person team format. And I raced with another local Atlantan, uh, Casey Darden. So we were the um, the youngest two-person female team to ever finish and set the, the record. We finished in eight days, two hours, and 35 minutes. That's awesome. Okay, so Race Across bike. America, in term, you get an idea. Gosh, whether you're doing it on a bike, I can't imagine why people would want to sit in their car and do it as a race and drive across. But nonetheless, there might be a cool factor there. But Race Across America, maybe people get especially knowing a little bit about who you are now. I'm going to get on my bike. I'm going to start on one side of the country. I'm going to finish on the other. Right. Some of these other terms, not quite as intuitive. Right. The anvil. 
Tell us about that. Double anvil. And the reason it's called double anvil, you know, Iron Man's got their weird thing about about using their, their uh, slogan. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. I hope I am. <laughs> but that is essentially a race that is a, a double iron distance race. So it's a, a 4.8 mile swim, a 224 mile bike, and then a 52.4 mile run. So just double the distance and um, just keep going. It's continuous. So there's no breaks. Once the clock starts, that's it. You're racing. Let that sink in, friends and family. That is a lot of distance to cover it in is. one setting. 281.2 miles. Yep. 281.2 miles. Now, D2 and I are both Ironman. We've done an Ironman triathlon. I can tell you that for me, if somebody would have said, hey, how about a 5K now? I'd have been like, no, I don't have any interest in that. I don't know how you felt. You've done more than I have. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't imagine doing two. I mean, I, yeah, it's it, it's hard. I mean, regardless of what, where you're at, you know, what time you're finishing, it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, so you're, doubling you're, up doesn't sound like something that you would immediately be like, yes, I need some of that. No, I mean, and I wouldn't have, you know, after finishing my first one, I wasn't like, oh, let me sign up for, for another one. Luckily, I signed it up for my second one before I even did my first one. And that's the only reason I did a second one. But I never would have done it, signed up immediately or said, oh yeah, let me get, go ahead and do another one. So that's your double anvil. You just had 18 months of recovery in between. Yeah. yeah. Epic five. Yeah. Epic, Epic five. five does. Now that sounds pretty cool, but it sounds cool because of destination and, and some of the things that happen along the way. And of course, having read about it, but it's also a huge, huge undertaking. Yep. So I, um, I had read about Epic Five in Rich Roll's book, Finding Ultra. And usually if someone's ever heard of Epic Five, that's, that's generally where they've, they've read about it. So I knew what it was. And I distinctly remember going home and telling Jason, you know, I read about it in this book. And it's, it sounds horrible. It's a logistics nightmare. I love logistics. He loves logistics. And that's part of the reason why we enjoy ultra racing is because you have so much that you can do and so much that you can plan and stuff is still going to go wrong. And we like that. I mean, we like that we have to problem solve and work through those problems. So in 20, I think it was 2013, um, I had a Facebook memory that came up where they, they had posted some type of video trailer and I had posted it on Facebook and said that it was a bucket list that I wanted to do it. And of course I only kind of halfway meant that, you know, I was doing Ram that year. I was really getting into some more ultra cycling. So, um, Late in 2015, they were, it's an invitation only race, Um, not because they're elitist, but because really the safety that's around something of that magnitude, they want to make sure that people that are doing it, um, you know, know what they're doing, that they have experience and that, and that they're going to be as safe as possible. They put the application out on Facebook and I messaged a friend of mine that volunteers for the race. And I said, um, I just looked at the website and they have the race at that time only had had, um, seven people that had finished it. So they had everyone's picture up on the homepage. And I noticed that all seven of them were men. And I said, has a woman ever done it? And she said, no. And I said, well, has a woman even applied for the race? She said, nope. And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. That <laughs> that's cannot so be ridiculous. allowed to continue. Well, and it, it, for some reason it bothered me because um, it, it, the uh, race is owned by a woman. And, um, I, I work for a company that's owned by a woman. I'm, I'm a woman. And I just felt really strongly that a woman should do the race. It, it was woman owned, primarily women run. And I was like, chick should do it. There's no reason why a chick shouldn't do it. 
So I go home and I tell Jason. And well, for, at first I set it up by by uh, pretending that I had found a puppy and was bringing a puppy home. And then he was all <laughs> mad about that. I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't really a puppy, but now I got something else to talk to you about. <laughs> So I told him about it and I distinctly remember what he said. He goes, you don't even like doing one Ironman. Why would you do five? And he's right. I mean, he was totally right. Everything he said was right. And I said, well, because it, it just takes one person. It takes one woman to do something before everybody else does it. And I believe that. I mean, for years, nobody ever thought that somebody could run a sub three marathon until somebody ran a sub three marathon. And now people do it all the time. I mean, it's, it's not average by any means. But, you know, that's just what it takes. It takes one person to kind of break that barrier to do it. So, um, yeah, I made the decision and I, I put it out there. And, of course, I floated it out to my coach and a few friends, a few close friends, because I needed, part of me needed a little bit of validation. Um, I needed to see, you know, is it too much money? Is it too much time? Do you think it's ridiculous? And, and every single person that I reached out to responded back almost immediately with, you should absolutely do it. And that, <laughs> I was just wanting one person to be like, <laughs> that is a awful idea. But no one said that. I mean, everyone was like, absolutely. There's All that oh. support you might not have had when yeah. you first started choosing a healthy exactly. lifestyle. Now you've got so much support. You're not sure you want all of it, right? Yeah. And I text my coach and I'm like, hey, five Ironmans in five days. And I just sent a bunch of question marks and he texts back, epic five, do it. And I'm like, oh gosh. And so now I'm like, all right, well, pressure's on. I think I'm going to do it. And then I just kind of, you know, that's it. You apply, you get in, you take that, take that first step. And then you kind of have to announce to the world that you're doing it. So we, and that's the hard part. Well, there are plenty of hard parts when yeah. you think about that. And, and even more importantly than a hard part or many of those hard parts in Epic Five is all the hardship that you've overcome. And we set this up as a way to connect with our What's Your Excuse campaign that we've been doing all year long. Sure. And excuses are meant, as you said so eloquently in your book, they're meant to be hard to overcome. Absolutely. But we think about, and your word was, you had ballooned to a certain weight that you just were not happy with. Right. Obviously, you have this horrific accident that was not your fault. And not only that, we talk about a driver being impaired and not being where that particular driver should have been when you were down to support your friends in something that was important to you and obviously an important weekend for them and now have to come back from that. And then we have the good fortune of just discussing briefly, but you unpack it so wonderfully in your book, whether it's the race across America, whether it's the double anvil, whether it's the Epic Five, whether it's the first two woman team, whether it's the first woman ever to have completed it, to take that journey, it truly tells us, shows us what a life without limits can look like. So for all of those people who are like, gosh, that sounds, that sounds so good. I want some of that. Right. How would you just encourage them? How would you speak not just into where we're taping and what they're listening to, but truly into their heart and give them the confidence that they need both there and in their own mind that they can do it. They can live a life without limits. Well, it goes, it, you know, the first thing I have to say is you have to believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in you. And sometimes you, you are in these situations where, where you're around people that believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And if you're, if you're a person that's in that scenario where you have people that say, I really believe in you, but you truly don't believe it, you've got to start there. You have to work on yourself. Um, because you've got to know that it's possible. I mean, you have to believe that something different can happen. You have to believe that where you are right now might not be where you end. 
And you have to not be afraid of the journey that you're going to go through and not be afraid of the change. Because when you start putting those those walls up and start resisting it, um, it's going to push back. So you've got to just allow that to happen. I change with every event and everything that I do, I change. I change a lot. And I learn more about myself. I learn more about my relationships with others. I learn more about Jason. I learn more about the people around me. Um, so everything to me is what I would consider an opportunity. And if you just say, this is an opportunity to have an adventure, and I don't know where I'm necessarily going to end up on this adventure, but I'm just going to allow myself to change and kind of go through that process. But be confident. Be You've got to believe. You've got to do whatever visualization that you need to do. But at the end of the day, once that doubt creeps into your mind, and once once you're, you're you let that doubt and that fear creep in, that's a really hard thing to overcome. Nobody, no amount of support in the world can, can get in your head and make you change what you, what you think about yourself. So at the end of the day, you've got to be right and whole with yourself. As you so wonderfully put at the front of chapter seven, a quote from Marianne Williamson, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. She is Danny Grable. Her book is Fear No Distance, A Journey to a Life Without Limits. You have proven the validity of this title. I know that that continues. I appreciate it. My suggestion, heartily, run or ride however you would get there. Go and get this book. You will learn more about that journey. You will be both amused by some of the stories and you will be encouraged by the journey that Danny Grable has taken. Of course, we will attach a link to make it super simple for you in our show notes to grab a copy of this book. She has been kind enough to bring D2 and I a couple of extra copies that we will make sure that she signs before she leaves our studio so that we can make our podcast payout even that much more rich for people who participate in the Run ATL podcast. But Danny, thank you so very much for being willing to do this for us. And we it. would just encourage you to continue encouraging others because you are so, so good at it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And we will be right back. Give us a break and we will be back to do our podcast payout in just a few seconds. Running doesn't have to be hard and injuries don't have to be a part of your running experience. Learn how to run better through Big Peach Running Company's Transform Running Workshops. In this three-hour session, you'll learn three simple elements that not only improve your form, but also reduce the chances of injury, allowing you to run faster and make running more enjoyable. Sign up at BigPeachRunningCo.com and become the runner you've always thought you could be. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast D2. That was really special. Yeah, it was. So, And, you know, what's interesting is when we think about what Danny has done, we all have to not just be inspired, but we all have to just get to it. One of the things that Danny was cool enough to do was she left us a couple of autographed copies of her book. We're now going to do the podcast payout, but we're doubling up on the bounty for the next question that we select. So for all of you who have not yet heard the podcast payout in one of our episodes, it's coming up right after this. But for those of you who have a question that you want Dave and I to do the research and to bring to you and all of our listeners, not only will you get a run ATLT in the color and size of your choice if we select your question this time, when we go to our next episode, if your question is selected, 
Fear No Distance, A Journey to Life Without Limits by Danielle Grable. That book, an autographed copy, will be yours as well. Don't forget, you send your question to podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at bigpeachrunningco.com. But now, D2, we have a question. Our question is pretty cool. And the reason I say it's pretty cool is because it takes those of us who live and recreate here and asks us to pass along some helpful information and all of us can benefit from where it is that we just feel is the best place to go for a run. And Ross Perko writes in, hey, I'm traveling to Atlanta. And if so, and I only have time for one run and I'm staying downtown with a planned run distance of somewhere between five and 10 miles. Even if I'm willing to take a short cab ride or light rail, where would you suggest that one place to take a run would be? This is a personal question. It's subjective, D2. What do you think? Well, I think if you're staying in the downtown uh, area, uh, even midtown, I don't think you really need to even take a cab. I think there's just, or you know, any type of transportation. I think you know, there's a lot of great places to run. So if you're in the downtown area, you can run around Centennial Olympic Park, head over to the Georgia Tech campus, maybe go up to Atlantic Station, cross over into Midtown, hit Piedmont Park, maybe even the Beltline. So you can get up to 10 miles and never have to even repeat and do loops and get to see you know our great city on foot. And, and you do it early in the morning. I think it's one of the best times to see the sun and come, come up over Piedmont Park and the skyline. And I, that would be my suggestion. I kind of like it, uh, just kind of a change, because I usually run in neighborhoods where it's a little bit kind of quiet, so you get more residential. But this, to do it kind of in the city and you get to kind of really see the city as it's kind of waking up, that's that's kind of cool for me. Well, I think that's, that's awesome. You mentioned a few highlights. Many of you who live here probably are familiar with the Beltline or Georgia Tech, knowing where you can run, especially at that early hour or on weekends, down Peachtree without the traffic. But have you thought about combining all of them or even designing your own route? That is indeed a gem. And I think that our question is one that we can all benefit from. One thing that I'll said at a tie into that, many people don't know that one of the deepest rail centers in the world is Peachtree Center in downtown Atlanta, more than 120 feet below the surface with yes, an escalator, but also stairs that make for a nice mid or concluding part of your workout before you go back home or back to your hotel. So think about taking the escalator down at Peachtree Center and if your knees will allow, then taking the stairs back up. What a way to punctuate a great workout in the middle of our great city. D2, that'll do it for us on this episode. How cool was this? Danny Grable was terrific. All of you are terrific. We'll see you in just two weeks. And we look forward to the next conversation that we have with you. But in the meantime, may your best miles be those covered on foot. 